Welcome to Turn Up, Turn Down. My name is John Potts. With me today is Eric. What's up, man? How's it going, buddy? Awesome, dude. I think we got a pretty interesting topic to talk about this week. Yes. Let's get into it. All right, so we've been asked by a couple people in varying ways, both in relation to this podcast and our professional lives, how to make somebody's tracks they recorded in their bedroom sound better. Mm-hmm. So what we thought we'd do is kind of give you five tips that sort of cover the, the whole spectrum of, que- of issues that we see on a regular basis, what people struggle with, you know, with their bedroom tracks and see if we can help you out. Sound good? Yeah. Kind of just did five tips to make your at-home tracks sound better. Yeah, we tried to come up with the clickbaitiest title we could. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're listening, I guess it worked. Gotcha! Unless you're my friend. (laughs) So let's get right into it. Tip number one, identify the weakest link in your process. Right. So this is like, this is assuming that you already have your gear, your interface, your DAW, your all the, you know, a, a mic or two and yeah. kind of your basic recording setup. And you're just trying to make your tracks sound better. The best thing to do is just identify that weakest link. And maybe that's easier than said sometimes. Sure. Either said than done. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to go with we it. Got, you, you were right there with me. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so it could be your microphone, your mic pre- your speakers, your headphones, um, you know, some people have nice gear or they have good enough gears, you know, as far as a preamp goes or for the recording stuff. Or if you just don't have enough, if, if you do a lot of tracks you're building, pop music, EDM music, maybe you don't have good enough uh, good enough synths yeah. or, or drum sounds or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. If, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things, like you said, if you're listening to your track and you're going, man, this would sound good, but my drums don't sound great mm-hmm. you know are you, did you record live drums did you use you know a virtual drum instrument or whatever there's all sorts of things it could be my guitar practice <clears throat> excuse me we're having could, troubles today yeah it's all the rain <laughs> we're, we're cold, it. it's our first cold day here in nashville we're, yeah and it's like 45 it's not even really that cold we're all <laughs> freaking out about it's it it's the wind chill <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a wet cold um yeah so if your guitars don't sound great you know maybe a different virtual amp or a different real amp. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts. It could be, the weakest link could be the instrument. Hopefully it's not your voice. That's t- <laughs> it's tougher. Well, but that's easily fixable as well because you just find someone that can sing. Yeah. It could also be your room. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do have nice gear and they're still not getting clean tracks. It's like, okay, well, it's time to get some room treatment because you can have a great mic, a great acoustic guitar, a good preamp. And if your room is like all reflections or or right. low, probably not low end build up for that scenario, but you could get just a roomy. If you take all that and you record in a garage, guess what? It's still not going to sound. It's going to sound like you're recording in a garage. So, yeah, I I guess that that same thing could be. My tracks sound great in my room, but when I take it in my car, the mix doesn't translate. That yep. it could be that problem. You have great monitors. You're you're recording tracks well, mm-hmm. but your mixes aren't good because you're not accurately. Yeah, <laughs> words. It's terrible today. <laughs> we we did some tracks the other day at a buddy of mine's house, and uh, I brought over some extra baffles and stuff to to deaden his drum room. He's got nice gear, a mm-hmm. uh, nice drum kit, cool room, um, the tracking room. But I thought maybe we could work on it a little bit, so I did that, and um, we were recording. And I was like, man, these drums are still pretty boxy and everything, but we had a good drummer, he played great parts, and I was like, okay, we'll be able to make it work. We'll be able to salvage right. them kind of thing. Um, I brought them back to my studio, and they sounded great. They're, like, big and fat and stuff. I was like, damn, well, I guess it's this guy's control room right. <laughs> and maybe monitor situation that is, that's the issue. So, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Um, and, yeah, th- the problem wasn't even the tracking room. It was the control room, you know, as to why it, w- it wasn't translating as well. Um, Would you say the most common weakest link probably is a microphone in this scenario? Most likely. Yeah. Because a lot of those issues you have, like stuff sound, people say like it sounds thin or it's like tinny or yeah. it's harsh, that kind of stuff. A lot of times that is very much just the microphone you're using. The other thing could be 
maybe even it is a good microphone, but you've only got one of them, right? And you're recording everything with it, mm-hmm. and so they're all kind of coming into your mix at the same yeah. frequencies boosted and cut. You yeah. know, that can be a that can be an issue too. And I when mean, it comes to upgrading, I would I would say like get a mic. Well, yeah. You know, considering you have kind of basic setup, start with a mic, then go to your any outboard gear you might have. You know, because a lot of time, a lot of, especially UAD and all that, you don't need. You, really you don't, don't need outboard gear. Yeah. That stuff is good enough. And, you know, the focus right, the clarity, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're good enough. I mean, you know, so like get a good mic and put it on there and it's going to pick up a lot more detail than your, you know, $200 studio projects mic or whatever it might be. Yeah. And maybe even if it's, like I said, you've got a good mic, maybe the next thing could be like, I've got a good mic for vocals. I need a good mic for instruments, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Try to focus yeah. on broadening that spectrum. So a, a very related, but more of a specific example of the first topic is vocals. Uh, we get that question a lot. Yes. Um, how do I record vocals? How do I mix vocals? Well, even even if people don't ask me the question, I hear that a lot <laughs> when people send me tracks to mix. <laughs> yeah. And the vocals just kind of sound like this. But you're like, oh, okay. I'll well. never forget one of my band in college. We um we recorded a record and we tracked it at uh, at MTSU's studio, and it sounded great. The track sounded really good. Um, but we didn't ever get to the vocals there. And so we, we cut the vocals at my, the house I was living in in college and we sent them off to a guy that had mixed some stuff. He's a, he's a good mixer. And, uh, he called me, he goes, Hey man, it sounds like these vocals were recorded like in a closet. And I was like, yeah, man, we recorded them in my closet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. And he was like, all right, well, I mean, he's like, the only way I could really get around some of these problems is to kind of do like a radio voice thing. I was like, all right, man, just do what you do. You know, it ended up sounding good, but I like years <laughs> later, I still have those tracks. Hey, look at that corner. I'm gonna paint myself right into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I maybe five years ago. So this is ten, t- a good ten years after we recorded that. I pulled him up and listened, and I was like, that guy's the best mix engineer ever for making these garbage <laughs> vocals. So I, I, at the time, my monitoring situation was two Sony boombox speakers that I was using. Yes. <laughs> with my inbox, you know, or whatever. And uh, and we did, we straight up, we were like, well, the, the deadest space will be this closet because it's got a bunch of clothes hanging in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, yeah, it sounded dead. And boxy, <laughs> and boxy and everything else yeah. that a closet sounds like. Well, it was bad. You got to do what you got to do, but, you know, and that's when you get creative. I mean, the other option would have been probably a really roomy sound right. in that scenario because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. But, yeah, I, you know, assuming you have a decent mic, the the most I think common problem would be, um, either like you said, boxy or roomy vocals. Yep. And then, you know, treatment of those vocals in the mix. A lot of times people go too many effects. Sometimes people don't do enough effects. I mean, and it's all mix specific, you know, based on whatever genre you're in. But getting that right is is a really easy way to make your home recorded track sound professional. Because yes. I, I mean, most uh, you know, I just radio songs have the best vocals. That's that's why they're on the radio. Yep. <laughs> so I mean, there's I was listening to um, Arcade Fire with my daughters the other day. I was trying to show them some music that I used to think you know, well, not used to that I think is cool. It's it's older now, and they're like, "This is dumb. I don't care <laughs> because they're four <laughs> and six. But <laughs> but I was listening to it and I was like, "Man, like this this doesn't sound that great." Yeah. But the vocals sound really cool. <laughs> you know, so it's like no wonder this was a hit. <laughs> well, with a lot of stuff, some of the trends I I seem to notice with vocals, what I just kind of mentioned, either harsh, yep. and like spitty, and that kind of stuff, or boomy. Mm-hmm. And I think the boomy usually has well, it has to do with two things: usually re- recording too close to the microphone. Yep. Um, and the idea is sometimes so you can get the room out mm-hmm. of it, but um. Yeah, but also in all the compression and stuff that people do that aren't necessarily trained mix engineers, you're bringing up all this low-end rumble and everything, and it all starts rumbling, and then you're boosting a little because it sounds harsh, so you like boost some low-end to give it some body and everything. Um, and something I think I, those, are, those are where people really run into issues. Something I still struggle with is when you, you mix a vocal, and you're like, man, that thing just feels like it's so muddy in the mix. Mm-hmm. But when you listen to isolation, it's like, well, this, this feels like a, a really natural vocal and then when you start to roll off or cut frequencies that you know are, um, you know, competing, 
then it in isolation it just sounds really bad. Yeah, it's like this doesn't sound real. But then you pull up a mix, you're like, oh, this thing doesn't have anything below 500 hertz in it, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah, listen, listen to yeah. listen to you know commercially released stuff. You know, like there's you think of singers uh, that have like even bigger, deeper voices, mm-hmm. and it it's hard to tell in a mix like where stuff is rolled off. But there's nothing really audible below like 150, 200 no. hertz. Yeah, like it's all you know, that upper mid mm-hmm. and um, really that, that kind of like telephone range at like that 3K that you can really get stuff to pop and come through there without having to boost the volume even. Um, but we've kind of covered before, like build a fake kind of ISO booth or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it might not look cool for Instagram or something. Oh, it but won't. <laughs> take your pictures before you put it up or <laughs> yeah, after you take it down. Yeah. Put a big blanket behind you, put a big blanket in front of you, um, and that'll cut down – Probably 60%. I did vocals like that for years. Uh, a technique that I've learned, this is this is going to change your world, Eric. Mm-hmm. If you have two extra mic stands, yep. instead of putting them necessarily in front and behind you, if you put them beside you with the booms extended up and drape the blanket over it so it's kind of hanging over you and down behind you, and then also hang something in front of you, yep. that's awesome. Yeah, You can stand under it a good distance away from the mic where you're not getting the proximity effect that we're, you know, we were talking about, yep. but also your room isn't in it. it well, when, the, when you think about a room and acoustics, if you're building a really good room, you're not just building a room. You're usually building a room within a room. Right. So a lot of the room, the room is like bigger than what you see in recording studios. Mm-hmm. And then they're building like false walls and insulation into that thing. That might be like four to eight and eight feet, four feet to eight feet thick. So you're like blocking off all the bad stuff, but the room, the volume is still really big. And that's kind of what, if you're in a bedroom, you have a good sized room and you're not in like a little vocal booth or a closet to where you're going to get that boxy sound. Yep. You still have room and air moving and there's, there's room for sound to dissipate naturally as well. Not just deadened by clothes or deadened by whatever, because it's going to go through those blankets or whatever you have, um, it's going to go through and come in and out of it. It's not going to completely no. kill it. So it'll still kind of give it a natural sound without getting those weird snappy slap back, all that dirty it's stuff. It's going to really knock off the high frequency. That's right. And that stuff, stuff is going to come back through your yeah. come back through your microphone really. When you're thinking about what makes something sound roomy on uh, a vo- specifically a vocal recording, it's your voice hitting a surface then hitting another surface, yep. and then hitting the microphone. So yep. if you're singing straight, it's hitting the wall in front of you. And that's then, happening in oh, three yeah. tenths of a second. Yeah, hitting the wall in front of you, hitting the wall behind you, and then it's hitting the ceiling, yep. and then coming back. You know, So if you can knock off some of the first reflection points, it, it, and you know, you've got a blanket in front of you, a blanket behind you, a blanket above you, it's going to, like you said, it'll go through those blankets, but then on the way back is where it's going to really cut down. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Yep. So it, it's... You know, experiment with your space. Yeah, but but do it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, gonna it really lot it's gonna really end. make a difference. Yeah, it'll make your two hundred dollar microphone sound a lot better. Yep, you'll you'll be able to get off the mic, and get some space, and you know let let sound do what it does a little more naturally instead of either just killing it or being way up on the microphone and getting boomy vocals. Right. And then when it comes to mixing, I think it's the same. It's all the same stuff. You either have that boomy low end, like I was saying, the compression just brings all all that rumble. Cut it, just drag yeah. that thing up. Have your mix going. Have a um, a high pass filter, mm-hmm. and just keep sweeping it up, frequency by frequency. Just drag it up until it until you go too far, and then come back. And I and I bet you it's going to be a lot higher up than you expect it to be. For sure. There's there's plenty of vocals, you know, just. If it's just like a regular male vocal that doesn't necessarily sing low or anything, like I'm way up there at like 180 sometimes, mm-hmm. and just and then still cutting it 200 and yep. you know boosting other places, but um, those are really your front and do and try and do that first so mm-hmm. that way anything after it is not affected by it because because once you do once you do all that like if you're sending a bunch of 60 hertz off to a reverb, you, you know if you're not doing any yeah. of that stuff like. It all it just builds up and builds up, and you like solo up that vocal stem with the lead vocal and all the effects, and that's just with one vocal. Imagine if you have, you know, six stacked leads and twelve stacked BGVs, 
that's a ton of just low-end nastiness that is just going all over the place all the time. It just takes up all kinds of uh, energy in your mix. Yeah, I'd recommend even if you have cut the lows on the on the track to, to make sure you roll off that stuff on your sins too. So yeah. a lot, especially reverbs. Prior to, like if on your strip, put it put an EQ first and then your reverb unit. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the reverb, especially rooms mm-hmm. and stuff like that are algorithms that are trying to replicate what a real room right. you know or something would sound like. So it might add in, even if you don't have it, it might add some reflections and stuff like that. They're in the low frequencies. Yeah. And it's uh yeah, it was uh maybe a sound on sound magazine I saw, something like that that was talking about this um the way Abbey Road used to do their plate reverbs and it had a fixed um roll off at like six hundred hertz. Yeah. And if you if you try that, it's like, oh, the reverb's really audible now. Because it's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no low end in it. Yep. It sounds great. And the top end. Yeah. Well, they did, yeah, they they yeah. did. It was it was low too. It was, it was like, a bandpass filter. It was at like five or yeah. four. It was it's a really narrow Yep. And it frequency. sounds awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um the high end too. So mm-hmm. obviously DSers Absolutely. use them, learn how to use it. If if it's a great thing to buy. Every vocal should have a DSer on it. Yep. I'll repeat, <laughs> every vocal should have a DSer on it. Because there's a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, I, I didn't need it on this one. I'm like, well, you didn't think you did. But my ears really thought you needed, yeah. one. <laughs> needed one because it, no matter what it is. And, and also, going back to the recording part, being off the mic, your S's will be a lot less harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of stuff. It'll all be more smooth and natural sounding. And it'll make your DSer work a lot less, which is more natural sounding. Sidebar on that, the mm-hmm. good thing is if you just have a basic, you bought Pro Tools, but you didn't buy any extra plugins, or you have Logic, a lot of those DSers are fine. I yeah. use the Pro Tools DSer. I don't, I've got a bunch of other plugins, and I, I think their DSer is fine. Yep, you it know? is. Um, you just use it in moderation. Yeah. You'll see a lot of people use, like, maybe a filter or some sort of EQ first, then a DSer, then another uh, EQ compressor, and then another DSer, so you can kind of, like, knock some of it off. Yeah boost some high end to get some energy back to get some of that sizzle back but then find your problem frequency that's still there after the boost and it, you know you got this nice where do you like to put thing. it in your chain where mm-hmm. um i usually ds first a really light mm-hmm. a really light ds then i eq like i problem solve eq to get rid of any bad resonant mm-hmm. frequencies and to cut lows uh then i compress then I EQ, then sometimes I strap a limiter on it mm-hmm. and just squash that vocal. Mm-hmm. Not like pull down the threshold, but just give it a brick wall to hit. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes EQ mm-hmm. and sometimes DS. Okay. I I tend to, I don't know, I mean, everybody's got their own process. I tend to do whatever, um, like harmonic processing I'm doing first, mm-hmm. like a like a distortion or something like that. Right. Um, if I'm adding, like, I want the full frequency to be the first thing, then I EQ. Usually with, um, I'll try like an API SSL, like one of those type, like a vibe EQ, mm-hmm. and get the sound I want. Then I compress after the EQ. Yep. Then if I need to find, if there's like, if my vibe EQ couldn't get something out, then I'll put in another EQ and do surgical. Yeah, do some surgical stuff later. Mm-hmm. But like my tone is there now. True. And it's controlled with a compressor. And then I usually DS last with like a moderate DS. Yep. And what that kind of does is for me, a lot of things that I need tamed are like in the high frequency range. And I'd, I'd like, I know the DSer is going to take care of that. So I don't worry too much about it with my surgical stuff. Yeah. I'll put that on. And then if mm-hmm. I need to go back into one of those before it and fix things, I, I will. But. Yep. That kind of gives it the sound, the sound like. And every now and then, I'll put another EQ after a DSer if there's some thing that's mm-hmm. wacky. But it's usually like a one band thing. Yep. Well, a lot of yeah, I don't like going back. Like once I have that EQ or whatever that plugin set, I don't. No. Yeah. I don't go back to it. Well, I, I will, but I'll usually just add another plugin mm-hmm. instance of of whatever with well, a transparent, yeah. you know, like not a vibe yeah, sounding yeah. EQ. You know, just even if it's just the Q or, you know, the Waves Q4 or whatever. Right. I, I always or, use or the, the Pro Tools EQ. Yeah, the EQ7. Yeah. I can just, whether I need to do something with that. And then I'll usually put a really, really light, like maybe just hitting one or two dB 
on the the vocal bus as well. So sometimes on a lead vocal, there's three de-essers. Even though you hear a de-esser at first, or I mean, you hear the vocal at first, and you're, it's not necessarily overly sibilant. Right. So, you know, sometimes it still needs it. the the like exception to the rule that proves the rule. I won't use a de-esser, but I'll use a like multi-band dynamic EQ, sure. where you can you know like cut a frequency only when that frequency is like prominent. Right. If if it's just like I know there's really no no S's to speak of. It's some if it's some other type of frequency and I don't mm-hmm. want all the high end rolled off, right. I'll do something like that. When I use DSers, same thing to to kill like a noisily a, a nasally not noisily, uh like a nasal frequency in a vocal as well. Like not yeah. just for S's. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can use it for other people other use it for symbols and stuff like that yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't personally had much luck with that. I use it on like acoustic guitars, mandolins, mm. uh, sometimes on my guitar bus, just kind of let it tap that. So that way, at, more as a DS or like high-end thing, and then especially if it's like real synth heavy and let the synth stuff be the, the sizzly fun goodness. Yeah, no, I get it. So hopefully that helps a little bit with yeah. vocals. I don't think anybody's ever done a deep dive on DSers on a podcast before, so. Well, there you go. Yeah, we nailed it. Ever. We're the first <laughs> ever. Um. All right, so number three. Oh, you, wait, I got to... No, I was going to say, like, this was one I, I just talked about earlier today. Um, someone brought up, they were like, all the stuff I, you know, that is programmed in, virtual instruments, can, like, that can sound good, but even that can be, like, overwhelming and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's a good idea. You're right. So number three is working with virtual instruments. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff here. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you had a great point, though. About like presets with VSTs. Yeah. So well, let's start there. So a lot, let's say, especially Logic, because Logic's virtual instruments, are, I think, are really great. They're for, great. For, well, they're great for everybody, but especially for people that are beginners, it's just so easy to be like, huh, electric keyboard. Oh, sounds great. You and know. for being included. That's, yeah. That's the nice part. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, yeah. As far as money goes, you can't beat it. But the same thing goes for Reason and all these other ones. A lot of them sound awesome in isolation. Mm-hmm. But to me, sometimes they all sound like they were meant to be the only instrument in a mix. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they have every frequency range covered, mm-hmm. and they just... That's part of what makes them sound great. Like, you push it, and you're like, yeah, cool, let's go. Yeah, it, you don't... Uh, I can't put anything else in this track. No. So, you know, there's two ways to work around that. One is, like, if you have a synth that you want to be the main part of your track, and you, you like you love the sound of the preset, start there and work around it, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just layering everything and then adding that last or something like that. But don't... Don't be scared to mix your virtual instruments just because it's a preset, yes. especially in Logic, because the preset is more than just the sound. It's an EQ and a compressor and a, a delay and all that stuff. You know, individually afterwards, go in there and cut stuff out. Right. If Treat it just like it's anything else and and go crazy. Yeah, I mean the the one people probably would work with the most often when it comes to stuff like that is drums. I mean, I just I use drum VSTs or virtual instruments like all the time, yeah. almost every track i do has some sort of virtual drum thing mm-hmm. on it and uh they're all they're all good and bad in different ways yep. so one thing you can do is play around with if you are you know if you've bought multiple ones you know you can play which one do i like the symbols which one do i like these toms and which has the best snares there's all sorts of stuff you can do you can get even deeper like i'll use trigger on virtual instrument drums, yeah. <laughs> you know, <and> like <laughs> it's like you. A lot of these you can load your own samples in them, but usually just like one velocity layer of it, right? You know, and I, I don't, I want more than that. And you know, so it's all it's it can all get really complicated. But I would say the the biggest thing with them is again, they're very broad spectrum, and you're going to need to cut some frequencies out. They're all really boomy at certain frequencies when you get them in a mix. Mm-hmm. You know, cut those cut those out if you've got one like. SSD or um, the Logic Drums or Reason, if you got like a refill pack for Reason, all those let you break them out over individual tracks. Yeah. Like like real drums. Do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Logic is kind of cool. You can do like a miniature version of it. You can do like bus, like uh, sums, like you can get like a kick snare overhead room. It's like get like four of them. Mm-hmm. But then you can also do the full, you know, like crazy full spectrum. Yeah. Um, work with your rooms on these. A lot yes. of t- a lot of times they 
they're, they're way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even thinking about, uh, like, we both use Trigger a lot. Right. So, like, if you were to just pull in all those things or, like, use the presets or something like that, the say the the dry signal is at zero, you know, they have, like, the rooms mixed in at, like, negative four. And that is about ten times more room <laughs> than you will ever need. Yeah. Usually it's, like... If this is at zero, the rooms might be at like negative twenty. Yeah, which isn't ten times, so it doesn't. <laughs> the other thing that's great about it's five it, times, but yeah. still, it's like uh, a lot of the presets and or just the samples, they always just sound so roomy, right? You know, and the and the the preset, um, like especially in Slate, mm-hmm. like what you're sending to your room mics and all that kind of stuff, is just more than needs to be in there. It, I I. Especially for cymbals. Yeah, it, it cymbals is too much. Hi hats are the one that gets me. It's yeah. like a hi hat sounds like it's forty feet away mm-hmm. sometimes, and yep. so the good thing about it is, unlike real drums, you can fix it if you've got yeah. you know you can go turn that hi hat down yep. just the hi hat in the rooms. A lot of times, or in the I, overheads. Yeah, uh, a lot of times what I'll do. It, this is kind of a double edged sword because some some if you spend a lot of time programming drums, you can get really detailed about stuff like bleed levels and stuff like that. Yep. Like BFD is one I've used that has really deep, like, you know, the drums bleeding into the others. But what will happen is it'll have like the cymbals bleeding into the tom mics. And nobody, like, literally nobody wants that. No. <laughs> like, that's so, why we it, added yeah, sample toms. That's why we're doing this. So you need to be careful and like figure out what those settings are and you can go tweak them. Or just like I did, it's like, I don't want any cymbal mics. I'm just t- turn it off, you yes. know. Um, some some of the bleed stuff, like I said, is what makes drums sound real. And so stuff like a bottom snare rattling when you hit the kick drum does add yep. depth and coolness. Yep. But especially for ghost stuff. I'm yeah, like, yeah. But you don't you don't need it in those. Sometimes that can deepen the groove. What made me figure it out was I would I had the the cymbals so low in my mix and they were still like really cranking. I was like, is it my compression? And then I would listen to it and I was like, oh, it's coming through that tom channel. These are cool. fake drums. <laughs> Why is this cool. happening? <laughs> Just what everyone loves. I, a lot of times what I'll do is, um, so I'm a big fan of, and I know you are too, the, the That Sound yeah, drum go, libraries. Go buy them. Yeah. And they have- Tell them we sent you. Yep. Yeah. Maybe they'll <laughs> maybe they'll send us their new stuff. We can try it out and feature it on our podcast. Um, what the, So they have a lot of presets for Reason. They have it for Logic. They have them for- um, Slate. No, I don't trigger. Think, trigger. Yeah, they have them for trigger. They have them for um, uh, machine, whatever that one is. Right. Contact. Um, but one of the things I found with them is that they're. It's almost like those. Well, not almost. Those drums are meant for drum replacement, mm-hmm. and that's sort of how the library is built. And so stuff like symbols in that library are meant for like programming or just replacing one symbol hit. And if you're trying to do like a programmed part with the symbols playing. Mm-hmm. The cymbals kind of can get funky. Yes. And does. The the snares and kicks and all that stuff sound awesome. So, so what I'll do is I'll use the cymbals from SSD, which I think sound really good. The, I think that's the strongest part yeah. of SSD. SSD, I, I go back and forth on it. I like it, but I feel like sometimes the instrument sounds too similar. Like you pick a different snare and you're like, this kind of sounds yeah, like... Yeah, it's always like, Cock. Yeah, well, it's be, and that's kind of what they wanted to do, I think. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be like, this is mix ready. Right. I mean, we can, we can no, have opposite not, opinions. Not, yeah, that's not <laughs> that. Uh, what I wanted to sound in the mix, though. I do. The toms usually sound pretty good too. Yeah. Um. So, but I, I'll use those cymbals all the time. They just sit really well, uh, and it's because they were built to be programmed. Right. You know, so you can mix and match some of this stuff, and it's really cool. I mean, it's you know when you hear about bands recording just the cymbals with towels over the drums, and then the other way around. Yep. This is like why they do it. Yeah. <laughs> you get all this separation and it's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. And then with you got other, you know, so go yeah. back to like other synths, pianos, even some of the, you know, f- fake guitars and the fake guitars is is a one that's really close to home for me too. It's such a it's such a double-edged sword. Yeah. One of the things that I would say makes my when my mixes don't translate, like when when I'm like why don't my mixes sound professional? <laughs> mm. It's because I did it real quick and I didn't want to like fool with my sounds on my guitar amp or whatever. Yep. And I just used like six virtual guitars. I feel like that you can tell mm-hmm. when you've used only virtual instruments. It's like, it sounds like a, I don't know, a preset. Yeah. It doesn't sound real. It, yeah. It all depends on what you have or what you're using. 
I mean, because there's Kempers and oh, other I mean, stuff too. And here's that. the thing: there are people that can make all that stuff sound great. Yeah, and it it's not a world I work in all the time, so I'm not one of those people. I can make one guitar sound fine. <laughs> For when it comes to like layering a bunch of them, yeah. I'm, I'm just not good at. Yeah, um, it's all. But that kind of brings up a point that that goes across like the sense pianos is that sometimes what you're missing it's a little bit of um let's call it like dynamic realism it's not it's not about range it's it's about like everything sounds too pristine like mm-hmm. n- like you would only record that if you're the best engineer in the whole world right you know and nobody is that except for one guy somewhere so well we were talking about uh like that i forgot what acoustic guitar whatever it is it's one of the vst acoustic guitars mm-hmm. and it it only works for like pristine pop tracks because it's the most in tune acoustic right. guitar you've ever heard. Right. And your ear just isn't used to hearing a guitar that the intonation is 100% perfect. Yep. The tuning is 100% perfect. So like, you know, if you're just doing a demo and you're just using it to yeah. hold, as a placeholder or something, that's cool. But using it, you know, where it's supposed to be like a featured thing or something, it's just very, it's just unnatural sounding and like, like you're kind of talking about as well. One of the things I'll do to get around that is use like distortion type plugins mm. on a lot of things yeah. and give it some interplay with something that's kind of quirky. Yeah. Pianos, synths, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Give it some kind of harmonic content that may not have been intended. Right. Can give it can give it some realism. Yeah. Pianos are a tough one because sometimes you'll hear a piano and you're like, man, that sounds so fake. <laughs> but it's a real recorded piano. Right. You know, or whatever, you know, on some pop track or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think pianos are I don't want to say how do I? It's like they're easier to record sometimes, to where they sound fake because they're recorded so well. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say, but like if you're playing a virtual piano, but like by itself again, like they all sound really good to me. Yeah, uh, I got that uh, Waves one that they did the uh, piano from uh, Hello, the Adele song. Oh yeah, yeah. It sounds fantastic, but it also sounds kind of fake because right. it sounds so good. Like it's so good. Yeah. Again, when it comes to like tuning. Like you have, we do a session, excuse me, and someone comes and tunes the piano that day, but it's still human tuning it. Yeah. But like that thing is, it's like meticulous when they're sampling it. They probably tune it after every Mm -hmm. moment through, you know, every instance through the whole, uh, through the whole process. Uh, So it's like so crazy in tune and, and then you start talking about velocities and quantizing, which we're going to talk a little, a little more as well, but yeah, um, it's still just treat it treat it you know like treat yeah. it just like you would a uh, any other instrument that you're recording or whatever and and eq and compress and all that even though you know it might be track ready or radio ready samples or whatever you want to call it just make sure you put your own touch on it as well because especially piano mm-hmm. and, and just like the synths like they take up i mean they really have <laughs> like all the notes in the spectrum you know yeah. like the lowest of lows the highest highs with the harmonics above it and everything so there's going to be a ton of low end in there. Get rid of some of it. Tame the highs. Just get it how you just mess with it. One last thing on pianos, then we can move on. Mm-hmm. Just like the drum instruments, you got to be careful about some of the real factors they added in. There's yeah. a lot of them that have like key click and like pedal up yeah. sounds. <gasps> the yeah. breathing. Yeah. That piano players are like, this is so cool. It even samples like the breathing on the piano. I'm like, yeah. yeah. We would let, sounds we, really unnatural. Get we, rid of it. We would not like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's one of those things that it could make your track sound cool if you're trying, if it's like realism is what you're going for. But if you, if it's like a piano vocal, yeah, you know, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing, yeah. But I would say that most of us that are using an instrument like that are probably not like world class piano players. And so we have some bad habits, you know, as far as like our pedal technique and stuff like that. Yeah. And it can make it sound worse if you're not careful on some Absolutely. of those things. I, I'll be honest, I generally just turn that stuff off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Let's. Let's touch a little bit more on some of the room problems we mentioned in the uh, vocals section and, and the other one. But let's t- let's talk about it working within the room that you have. Mm-hmm. So I'll give, a, I'll give an example of what I'm talking about. I've got a the room my studio, home studio is in is like 12 by 14. It's not small, but it's not great. And I, sometimes I'll record drums in there, sometimes I won't. I've got a living room that's got wood floors and like 20-foot vaulted ceilings. Right. And it's obviously not treated, <laughs> you know. It's my house. My wife would kill me. Um, and I recorded drums in there one time to for like a rock track I was doing, 
and the close snare mic sounded like it was 400 feet away from my drum set. <laughs> there was so much reverberation in that room. Yeah. Um, same thing, you know, an opposite problem in the small room is that, like, it doesn't matter where you, like, how you have the overheads panned or whatever, the hi-hat is just as loud in the right and left channel because mm-hmm. that room is so bouncy or right. whatever. So if you're doing something like drums, how do you work around that, right? Are you asking me? Well, I was I'm setting my I was setting set myself up. up. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. But I'll get to you in a second. Sure, I'll just I'll be here. Let me run some things by you. Let me, cool. let me show you my process for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Record your drums in that scenario, whatever room you're in, the way the cymbals sound best, and then sample everything. <laughs> 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 I mean. You're just going to run into so many problems yep. in those rooms. They're, they're they're not treated. They're too small. They're too big. They're whatever. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you can get the cymbals right, that's going to make that. That's why you're recording real drums is for dynamics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, even if the best program cymbals aren't going to have the, the interplay of like, I didn't hit it the exact same place with the stick every right. time I was hitting it. The cymbal was moving, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can get those right, you know. You can fix just about everything else. Yeah, there's no need to record a hi hat under any circumstance <laughs> in a room like that. Maybe yes. I'm, I'm exaggerating, yeah. but yeah, um, I generally put a mic on it anyway. But yeah, it's I've I can't say I've ever used a hi hat from something I recorded in that room. All right, it's, but what you do get to play devil's advocate is like you can still boost, you know boost your hi-hat, you know, because right. it's, and then still add in crashes with samples. Yeah, you can do that. You can even sample your own cymbals mm-hmm. and, like, put those in in the crashes. Um, but then you still have, it's really hard to, to sample or replace a hi-hat. Uh, yeah. It, yeah it's, um... <laughs> I've had to do that as well. But also in, like, so in those, if your room sounds bad mm-hmm. and it's small, um, I think it's always better to dead in the room as much as possible. Right. Like dead drums are better than yes. overly live drums. Yes. Because, you know, like as good as that, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> the Like the SPL D, D verb, you know, like it, or like supposed to get rid yeah. of it. Eh, it doesn't work. It just doesn't do it. <laughs> it's like, sure, it might end up getting like 2% out, even though it's cranked up all the way. Anyway, get it out. Like get the room out, try and take out, you know, just bring stuff in there. If if you really need to record live drums in that room, not you particular, John, but you mm-hmm. know, the listener. Yeah. Bring in pillows. Bring in your mattress. Put it up on a wall. Just do something if you're gonna. Obviously, yep. you can't do that every day, but if you're gonna be recording drums and do it, um, dead in the room, and get rid of those reflections. Drape something over your drums. Whatever, whatever you got to do to make it work. But um, dead is better than live Absolutely. in a small room without treatment. I've tried to record room mics in my small room before. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's like, hey, that room mic's three feet away from my drum kit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And my, my, yeah, it's it's three feet in front of my drum kit, and my cymbal is, I mean, my overheads are actually like, you know, five feet away from my snare drum. <laughs> right. So overheads actually further away. It doesn't do any like if you've got a bad room, why are you recording it? Throw some samples in there. <laughs> but again, yeah, I will say. That mic is gonna sound different than your overheads, and you're already using your overheads, and it right. might have less symbols or something. So if it's three feet away in the corner, it, and the room's dead, like you can recreate room. Mm-hmm. You can't recreate no room. No, that's <laughs> so like you can run that through a you know like a reverb unit or something, and just give it a different sound. Or that can be like a quote unquote trash mic or something, mm-hmm. which. Any any mic can, but that one might have a different thing. And if you got an open channel, then then go for it. Because like you can turn your snare into like you can turn your snare mic into a room mic if you want to. Yeah. You know, like by running it through the right stuff and compressing the snare and then bringing up the kick bleed and stuff, it can actually work really well when you start using stuff creatively um, different than what you intended it to be or what it was intended to be. But also like just putting a mic in a different place, it might just you might get a magic spot in the room where like your low end's great and your symbols aren't in it all the way make a cool thing out of it you can do stuff you know that maybe wouldn't 
seem like a great idea initially, like put a mic in a hallway next to your room mm-hmm. and get some stuff like that too. You gotta be real careful with phase. Right. You know, when you do that kind of stuff, make yeah. sure it's all lined up. But again, you could, it's something giving you something different. Yep. Basically think outside the box of that. Now there's other things too, besides drums that are, um, <laughs> yeah, it's probably more. <laughs> yeah. What people are doing on a normal yeah. basis. I just love drums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so guitars would be one, you know, there's, um, and you can go both ways. You can get too much room in your guitar and yeah. too, well, I mean, I guess, I guess you could get too little room in some circumstances, but it's, it's pretty common to put a close mic on a guitar amp. Yeah. But there are definitely situations where even if that's only the only thing you're doing, the room you're in is so weird that it's giving right. you reflections into that close mic. So kind of the same things with um, vocals. You can put a blanket over it. You can yep. build a little box. Be careful if you're using a tube amp. Don't just lay a blanket on top of it. Yeah, don't do that. You're gonna cut your catch your house on fire. Yeah. Um, but there's you know there's even studios you know big commercial studios that have amp lockers mm-hmm. and they don't sound good. No, they don't. <laughs> it's like I would rather have it just in a ten by ten untreated room than in this like kind of dead but too big to be mm-hmm. really dead. And it's just like one layer of insulation or something, so it's boxy. You know, you get yeah. all that like weird tones with a really loud amp. They're just sound. It sounds like the room is like closing in on the microphone. Oh yeah, you know it's just that's not a good sound either. I I built a speaker isolation box. Yeah, and it sounds awesome, but I worked really hard to take the boxy thing out of it, and had it was got a lot of stuff going on in there, and it also has to do with like I basically can only use a fifty-seven in it, like any other mic I put in that thing sounds terrible, yeah, because it's got too much room and stuff like that. I tried to use a ribbon in it. Yeah. You can hear the box rattle. <laughs> it's like too too much. But yeah, I mean, so I was working around a problem called I had a baby. <laughs> and I did not want to wake, wake I the had, baby. I had a isolation box as well, and it sounded really good. Sometimes it sounded better in there, depending on mm-hmm. the style of music, um, than my treated, fairly well-treated, professionally-treated vocal booth, mm-hmm. um, which isn't, you know, it's, it's like eight by eight, something like that. So it's sure. a... It's bigger than a normal vocal booth, you know, mm-hmm. but it's a fairly small bedroom, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, sometimes it sounded better in that ISO box if it wasn't too loud and, the, you know, right. whatever. Um, so the recording part of it, but as I mentioned in the previous story, like r- your room treatment for mixing. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes you might be a better engineer than you think you are, but you don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Like we took those drums out of that guy's room. And it was his it was his control room that was the problem. It wasn't the drums. It wasn't the drum room. He did a great job in there. You just need a little more treatment in your room. Getting rid of some of those frequencies, finding those those problem areas. And that those are simple things like walking you know, putting on music, moving your head. Maybe you don't walk around the room because the room's not even big enough to walk around. But move around the room, find those weird problems, find what frequencies they are, and then do some research as to as to how to get rid of those frequencies in your room. If it's if it's high and it's that snappy, like bouncy flutter stuff, that's high end. Put some stuff on the wall. Put some stuff where your speakers are hitting the wall behind you, above you. We've kind of talked a little bit yeah. um, on previous podcasts, but for those who haven't listened, start directly on either side of your ears, to the left or right of your ears. Put some stuff on the wall there, above you, behind you, and then also, you know, your your speakers should be kind of pointing at your head and maybe like crossing behind your head, um, follow them to the wall and put something on the wall there. So you will have some kind of over your shoulder on either direction as well as directly behind you. Um, I'm using my hands a lot, pointing all over the place, but that's not helping you guys. It's good. It's good podcast Um, content. Yeah. So (laughs) front wall, back wall, out from your ears, either side wall, uh, above you, and then where the speakers hit the wall. Good place to start for high end. And then still, I mean, the walk around. You walk around clapping in a room like all recording engineers do as soon as they walk into a studio. But that's how you can easily identify stuff above or below where you need to put stuff on the ceiling. Um, Base stuff, put a a couch, um, play with what kind of carpet you have in there, or if, if you have hardwood, a rug, or, you know, whatever just do a little research and find out how to kill some 
some low end frequency. You can build bass traps. Um, that kind of stuff is getting more and more readily available um, as home recording just continues to grow. Um, yeah, room treatment. So I'd say to to add on to that, a lot of people maybe starting out don't have room treatment yet, mm-hmm. and they're getting their they're saving their money. Yeah. So things to do in the meantime. Yep. Okay. The first one would be like Eric said is listen to stuff in your room. Get to know if you know what your problem areas are, you can work around them. Correct. Okay. So if you if you know your bass is just way out of whack, you know that can help you in your recording process. There have been mistakes I have made by not knowing my room. Like man, this guitarist has no high end, you know, or something, and just start cranking it. But it's really your room. And mm-hmm. then you go listen to it somewhere else. You're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, my whole head hurts. Yeah. Or, or the the biggest one is oh, the bass is too boomy in this, and you cut a bunch of that out, and it was your speaker monitoring setup, not what you recorded. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, the other thing to do would be like try to listen to. Well, I guess this would be a, you know, li- listen to stuff on headphones too. If you yep. can, you can figure it out. But the the other thing I would say is if you know you have problems, err on the side of not cutting out too much stuff. You right. know, if you're if you're EQing something, you know, if you have outboard gear or whatever, you can always cut out frequencies later. Right. You know, try not to make too big of a decision if you know you've got problems that you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. And then and then that way you can you're not leaving yourself in a situation that you've got to go back and re-record something or yeah. whatever. Low end um, listening position makes such a difference in your low end when you're just mixing. Um, and that's where reference material can really help you. Pick a record that you've, or a song, anything. Pick some listening material that you know what it kind of should sound like. And put that on. And then move around your room, or at least within like a three-foot square of where your quote-unquote listening position is, mix position is. Because there's a good chance you're in the wrong spot mm-hmm. to mix in your room. Yeah. If your speakers are up against the wall... You're getting a low end build up there, because um, you're you're probably going to be about two feet away from the wall yourself, and there's that's that's right where most likely a low end problem will be either boosting or a big null. Mm-hmm. So if you put on a record, kind of move your chair back and forth, and, and you know if you can't move your desk into the prime spot, that's fine. Like I get it. Some rooms they're small and the the speakers are where they are. Your desk is where it is. Yeah, and you can't. They're multi purpose rooms. You can't. Right. You can't put your stuff in the middle of it. But that doesn't mean you always have to sit right there in the same spot to like reference things. So if you put on that reference record and you move, you move, you happen to move back two feet and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this sounds really good right here. Well then mark that spot on the floor with some tape or, or just take a mental note of it. And when you're, when you're mixing continually, just like scoot your chair back or get up and stand wherever that sounds good to, to get where your base level is. Cause it can, I mean, just moving your head, six inches to the right or left or up or down six inches, it makes a it makes a big difference with low end especially. Maybe not six inches. Maybe more like when you move like a foot or so. Um but yeah, it's like just find where your room sounds good and reference that spot um when you're mixing because it it could make a huge difference for you. Absolutely. So while we're on the subject of mixing, let's talk about our last tip. Okay. We called it fake mastering. <laughs> it's about because disclaimer: we are not mastering engineers. We are not, and this is not mastering. But how to get your mixes loud enough, mm-hmm. you know, to where they sound good on SoundCloud or whatever you're sharing them on, or even if it's just a client and you know you're not the mastering engineer, you're trying to give them a reference mix, right, or whatever. It's called the hot mix. Yeah. Oh, wait. People started calling it heated, and I was like, heated? No. Nah, Do you call it that? I don't. There's all the time, like, a heated mix. I was like, what is heated? I don't know. Thank you. I, I see it all the time now. I, Maybe I, it's a Nashville thing. I don't know. It's 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 a weird way to phrase it to me. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know, it's the old principle. If you listen to something, you know, two identical things and one of them's louder, you're going to naturally gravitate towards the louder one and say it sounds better. Totally. So you want to try to reference things and get your mixes around the same ballpark. And, you know, the ways to do that are compression on your master bus, a limiter, you know, some EQ stuff like that. You can go too far with it, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, yes, you can. Yeah. So what what is your approach to that? 
when you're doing a hot mix for a client? Well, I will say this. I had a way that I mixed. Um, in Nashville, we have a lot of demos, like publishing demos. Right. And they need to be really competitive with, because of that exact thing. If you're listening to five, you're pitching songs. Right. We need to be as loud. Anyway, we got to get them, quote unquote, radio ready. And I had this process to where I would, I would mix loud. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would just get all my buses pretty loud. You know, I'd mix everything and then get my buses loud and then just really smash, incrementally smash my stereo bus until it was just getting louder and louder and then just knock the, knock the edge off with a, like a brick wall limiter. Um, and I'd use some harmonic stuff, you know, like saturation things to really just try and get it loud. Um, I stopped doing that. Okay. <laughs> because I just, I just was never fully happy with how everything sounded. Now, I mix it just like I would mix a record that was going to be mastered. And then I pull up the L3 LL, mm-hmm. or is it the LLL3? And yeah. Ultra Maximizer. Yep. And I set the ceiling, and I crank it to either five or six, and I print it. Mm-hmm. And that's all I do. Because that thing sounds good. It it doesn't pump. It doesn't sound harsh. It usually just sounds like my mix cranked. And that's the same thing I do with my... I print mixes back in because I have a summing amp and outboard gear that I mix through. Same thing. Print in, pull it up, uh, pull up that plug-in, test, test a little spot at the chorus to see like how far I'm going to pull down the threshold, and then just commit it. And, you know... Create a new playlist and or duplicate that track. Do it, done. That's that's all I do now. And I've spent plenty of time like setting up a, a mastering template and you know like knocking off the transients and doing my best job to really take some time and master. And uh, I usually get just as good because the mi- you know I don't know it. I just I get better results just doing that and not overthinking it even one bit. I'm so, usually happier with how everything sounds, just like that. That I mean, that's which is dumb, but no, I get it. That's what works. I've got two things I do. If I'm trying to do something really quick, yeah, I just pull up Ozone, which is kind of a one-stop shop, sure, and I just pick a preset that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. And what's good about Ozone is the presets are loud, but they're not slammed unless you right. pick one that is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's not going to ruin your mix, but it's going to have a little EQ or whatever that's going to kind of cut out some problem frequencies or whatever. It's going to sound a little bit more finished. Right. If I'm just trying to do something quick, that's what I'll do. If I want to take a little bit more time and do something, either like a reference mix I'm giving to a client, uh, you know, to give them an idea of what it would sound like mastered, I'll mix through a compressor like I always do, like mm-hmm. a SSL style or something like that. And then I will put right after that, I put a uh, Pultec EQ mm-hmm. and I boost like at 100 and at like, 12 like about how much low like between three at like three at the max like probably around like one or two cool and sometimes so i have the uad pultec pro that has the mid-range one too not just that and sometimes i'll cut out like 300 same amount like one to kind of give it just a little that little smiley face deal Mm -hmm. but usually i don't need to do that if i just boost the lows and the highs just a little bit and um and then i use a limiter you know same kind of thing i use um and there's all sorts. I mean, I have a couple different ones I'll use. Um, but just something, I'll put a ceiling on it. I usually don't mess with the threshold too much. What I'll do is probably I'll take the output of my SSL right. compressor. That and, thing will go loud. Yeah, and, and just boost the output maybe 2 or 3 dB or something like that mm-hmm. to get it to get it loud, where, where maybe just a little bit of compression is helping on the um, hitting on the limiter. Yep. And that's usually loud enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not as loud as a radio song. But it's close. Right, when you know. you're referencing stuff in your car or whatever. Yeah, 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 where I don't have to crank my my uh, stereo in my car. Yeah. The the EQ there, I really like it because it's not, I don't think about it. I'm not, like, using a graphical EQ or I'm, like, sweeping bands or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just know that, like, I want the low end a little bit more. I want the high end a little bit more. <laughs> you know, and it's, like, just those frequencies are the ones that sounds good. And the Pultec just makes everything sound good. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really nice way to kind of like it lifts the cymbals a little bit at the top end, yeah. It boosts the kick and bass a little bit at the low end, and kind of just makes it, I awesome. don't know, sound finished. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, when I when I was doing it, I I used that um, 
when I was mixing the old way, I used the SSL compressor, and as I was saying, you can you can boost that output really well without it clipping. Right. And then I would also use uh, the Slate FGX. Mm-hmm. I've used that before. It's good. It's kind of similar to the Ozone in a in a way. Like I don't really know what it's doing. Yeah, I I did not like the compressor even a little bit. I used I used the limiter on it too. Yeah, the limiter was was good, and I just. Um, I stopped liking the way it sounded. So that was part of why, you know, one of the first things was like, get rid of that and then like try and do this and whatever. And that's why I ended up just (laughs) pulling down the threshold on that, on that specific one. I I tried like the L2 ultra maximizer, the waves. I like an L1. Yeah. It's simple. But like that, something about that L3, L. I get it. Um, I just never, I never, not never. I usually, with how much I use it, I don't hear any artifacts. Right. And it just sounds like a louder mix, and it's punchy, and it kind of has a sound, and I just go with it. If you don't have a limiter, Waves has a sale every other day, it seems like. And you can grab one of their L-series limiters yeah. for between 30 and $50 pretty much at any point. And I'll say that, because I mentioned this to someone before, I will say this. A brick wall limiter is not just for this purpose, because they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to spend 30 bucks on a limiter when all I'm ever going to use it on is like, is yeah. that it's like well first of all that could be every song you ever do so yeah you might use it more than other plugins you use but also i use a lot of limiters in my mix i use it on snare samples a lot to where like if you're just trying to get like ambient and like a wide snare thing if you crank down that limiter you don't have any transient hit and you know you have all this room and all this other stuff too it doesn't sound good on real drums because you have noise and bleed and whatever. Right. But on snare samples, it works great, and it cuts down. It gives you more headroom, all kinds of stuff. I don't like to limit every bus, but there are times when I'll throw a limiter on my drum bus. Yeah. As, just knock a little. Just, yeah, exactly. If, if if I've got a compressor and I don't want to crank it too much, mm-hmm. but the part is still a little too dynamic, Yep. that's a great way to fix that. And it gives you, it gives you like 3 dB more headroom on your stereo bus. Right. Which any way you can gain headroom and do that and let your stereo bus compressor work less limiters along the way not cranked but just knocking off edges here and there um can really help a lot so it, so investing in a at least decent limiter is something yeah, to really if, really if, if, do. if you want to get into it and try it out the, the the seriously the waves deal i know they're going to have one here on black friday oh yeah you know they, they really do have a lot of deals and they're great plugins for the, for any price but especially when you can get them for 29 dollars like Absolutely. they always do another good one will be the massey l L twenty seven hundred, yeah, something like that. Um, I think it's like sixty five or seventy five dollars. No, no, all his plugins are great. They're and most of them are under a hundred dollars. Yep. Um, and they're really good. The good thing about that one is you can use it the full version for free. Yes. But you can't save set. So every time you close your session, the mm-hmm. settings reset to default. Yeah, and so that goes for all of his plugins. Right. You can download every all of his plugins. So if you want to just play around with a limiter and see what it sounds like, see what you can do, that's a great one to try, mm-hmm. and then you know buy it. Uh, because it really is great. Yep. Um, and then, you know, there's all sorts of other, you know, if you buy the Ozone Advanced, you know, you, you get the, the standalone Ozone plug-in with all the parts, but then you get each individual part as its own plug-in too. So you can just use the Isotope limiter right. if you want. You know, that's a great way to do it. I mean, there's a lot of things out there yep. for, you, for you to try. But it, uh, like, like you said, sometimes when you're, you've got a waves deal and everything's $29, it's like, yeah, I want to buy a limiter or like a de-esser or something like that. You know, there's, right. these plugins seem so like utility mm-hmm. that they're not as fun as buying some of these other ones, but right. they're going to help you every time you mix a song. Absolutely. Like I said, you might, a de-esser, you should use it on every song you ever do. Absolutely. And like, I know that I use multiple limiters on every single song I mix. Yep. So it's, it's worth it. The, and then when you need to mock master right? Um, or do a hot mix, reference mix, it. I mean, I don't know how else. You can't do it. No. You need a brick wall limiter to be able yep. to push into. So it will. You need it. Go buy it. So hopefully we covered a lot of ground here. And you got some pointers and tips on maybe some different things you've been struggling with. If we didn't cover something that you think you are struggling with, please let us know. There's so many things we can talk about. We'll do a whole show, a whole show on it. Yeah, we yeah, we like these kind of things where we yeah. can hope hopefully help people problem solve and and create create better music, really, in in any scenario that that music is being made. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I when I get the compliment 
man, your stuff sounds so professional or whatever. That's a great compliment to get. Yeah. But I know that the only reason it sounds like that is because I've been doing it for 15 years and I've had so many screw ups along the way yeah. that I learned from. And it would have been great or it has been great to come across people at various points in time that gave me a little tip here or there that just so, took me to the next level. So hopefully this will do that for do you. just got to do it longer yeah. and longer. Yep. It's just time yep. and and implement. I still get tips and tricks every day from other people, either on Instagram yeah. or whatever it is. Um, you're always learning, always growing, and always, hopefully always improving. Yep. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe. Um, all the good, all the good stuff. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks.